Chapter 15 of The Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 First Aid When Spud had parted with his companions at the Beaver Dam, Upton and his two followers had returned directly to camp. Pat had a good fire going in the cabin in anticipation of the need of it to dry out the wet clothing, and had busied himself by patching sundry places in the roof where water was working through. After a hearty lunch of venison stew prepared by Pat in true hunter style, the four boys idled the afternoon away swapping stories, listening to Plimpton's record, which he had brought up to date, studying the maps and speculating whether or not they had a ghost of a chance to find Lost Trail. By the middle of the afternoon they began to wonder what had become of Spud. The rain had stopped, but the clouds still hung low and threatening. "'I bet he's lost himself again,' said Hal, as the afternoon waned with no sign of the sunshine maker. "'He couldn't,' declared Walter. "'Not up that end of the hollow, anyway. A tenderfoot couldn't lose his way there because he'd have to climb a mountain to do it. You don't suppose anything can have happened to him, do you? He might have slipped and sprained a leg or something.' "'Spud's no tenderfoot, and he sure would know enough to follow down the hollow to get back to camp.' "'Don't you be worrying about the sunshine, Maker,' broke in Pat. "'Tis a hunting fever he be after having, and he's got it bad. Most like he's hunting grouse. And begorra, I hope he gets some. I could ate a whole one for me dinner this very night.' But as afternoon wore away and the dull gray began to give away to a somber twilight in the deeper places, promising the early fall of night, even Pat began to get a bit disturbed, though he sought to hide it. He moved about uneasily and finally built a roaring big fire outside while Walter and Hal prepared dinner. He was just on the point of suggesting that he take the trail over to the beaver ponds to see if he could get some trace of Spud, when that young gentleman burst out of the bushes, all spent with running, that he was plainly literally all in. He was minus his hat, poncho, and rifle. He was wet and disheveled. His face was scratched as if he had forced his way through the thick growth regardless of branches, as indeed he had. He looked as if he had fallen more than once. His eyes were wide with excitement and anxiety, and he held a hand to one side as he panted for breath. Pat instinctively reached for his rifle. He said afterward that he expected to see nothing less than an angry she-bear charge out at Spud's heels. "'I've found him!' gasped Spud, sitting down on the nearest log weakly and laboring for breath enough for speech. "'He's back there, and he needs help.' His four comrades stared at Spud as if they thought him suddenly bereft of reason. "'Who's back there? Who needs help?' demanded Walter. "'The, the man the sheriff's looking for.' Spud was still struggling for breath. "'What? Say that again. How'd you know?' "'What are you giving us?' "'All talking at once, the lone wolves crowded around Spud, "'too excited to give him a chance to get his breath. "'That he had really discovered the outlaw they could hardly credit, "'but that he had had an exciting experience of some kind, "'his very appearance was ample evidence. "'Presently, as the pain in his side subsided "'and he was able to breathe with some degree of comfort, "'he briefly told of the hidden camp and the helpless man lying there. "'He's got a broken leg,' declared Spud. I saw that something was the matter with his right leg and examined it as best I could. Had to rip open his trousers leg with my knife to get a good look at it and say, it's something fierce, believe me. From the knee up, it's all swollen and discolored. 
I felt of it as gently as I could, and I'm sure it's broken. He's got a fever and is crazy as a loon. He's awfully weak, and I have a hunch he hasn't had anything to eat since the accident happened, and by the looks I should say that that was at least two days ago. Wasn't much I could do but hustle for you fellows. Tied his legs together just below the knees again at the ankles and bound a long stick the length of his good leg to keep him from thrashing around. Don't know as that was the thing to do, but I couldn't think of anything else, and he's just got to be kept from thrashing on account of that broken bone. The inflammation is mighty bad there now. Tore my big neckerchief up to tie him. Then I covered him with my poncho and nearly broke my neck to get here. Didn't seem right to leave him, but I had to. Now, let's get a move on and get back there. One minute, Spud, interposed Walter. What makes you think he's the man the sheriff was looking for? By things he keeps muttering, and his fright, even when he was out of his head, when he heard my voice. Keeps saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, over and over, only he says it in scotch. Besides, a little finger on his left hand is missing. He's only a young fellow, and whether he's an outlaw or not, he's got something on his mind. "'and he sure is up against it good and plenty. "'Come on, let's get busy.' "'All now turned to Upton, "'upon whom his leader devolved the responsibility "'of deciding what should be done. "'He had been doing some rapid thinking as Spud talked "'and now snapped out his order sharply. "'Spud, you get some food into you the first thing you do. "'You've got to be in good shape for what's ahead of us. "'In fact, all hands better turn in and eat a good dinner. "'We'll need it.' Fifteen minutes or so won't make much difference to that poor chap back there. It isn't as if he were bleeding to death or anything like that. Three of us will go back with Spud, and the other one will have to stay here and keep things in shape in camp and have things ready for us when we get back. We'll probably have to bring that fellow here, and that means the four strongest will have to go. Guess it's up to you, Plimpton, to stay. Won't be afraid to stay alone all night, will you, sister? Plimpton grinned. "'Not so's you'd notice it,' he replied promptly. "'Of course, I'd like to go along, "'but I guess you're right about the need of having someone here, "'and probably I shall be of more use here than there.' "'All right, that settles that,' replied Walter. "'Hal, as soon as you're through eating, dig out the first aid kit. "'Spud, you roll up a couple of blankets "'and put that coil of rope with them. "'By the way, it's getting dark pretty fast. "'Do you think you can find your way back in the dark?' "'If you please, I'll make some torches.' "'And I'm thinking we'll have no trouble, then,' interrupted Pat. "'Good. That's your job, then,' returned Upton. "'I wonder if we'd better make a litter before we start and take it along, or wait till we get there.' "'Wait till we get there,' replied Spud promptly. "'It would be a nuisance to carry, and we can make one there just as well as here. Plenty of young saplings, Andy.' "'Guess you're right,' returned Upton. "'Sister, we'll leave the dishes to you. Now everybody get busy.' By the time the needed things were ready, Pat had returned with a number of long strips of birch bark four or five inches wide and a couple of green sticks about two feet long and a couple of inches in diameter. Each of these he split at one end. Then, folding one of the strips of bark several times, he fastened it to one of the sticks by the simple expedient of forcing it into the split end. Now remained merely to light the bark and the torch would be ready for use. A second torch was made in the same way from the other stick. Upton hurriedly but carefully inspected the things to be taken to make sure that nothing had been forgotten. In addition to the blankets, rope, and first aid kit were the long-handled axe, a couple of drinking cups, two towels, a roll of herbwurst, and several bullion capsules. Satisfied that they had all that was needed, he gave the word to start. 
Pat at once lighted one of the torches at the fire and led the way with Spud at his heels, Hal next and Walter bringing up the rear. It was a weird spectacle, that little procession with the flaring torch at its head entering the black forest. For some distance Plimpton could see their progress by the reflection of the light against the sky, but soon this was no longer visible, and the boy turned to his own duties. Meanwhile the four lone wolves pushed ahead rapidly on their errand of mercy. Pat was too good a woodsman to find much difficulty in following the trail to the upper dam. Skirting the upper pond they soon found the birch thicket where Spud had discovered the snares. They had only to keep on the outer edge of this to find the gully leading to the hollow with the hidden camp. They found the lone trapper just as Spud had left him. He was still out of his head, muttering and occasionally throwing out one arm, and as the four boys gathered around and looked down at the haggard face, doubly haggard-looking in the glare from the torch, a great pity for the unfortunate man welled up in their hearts. "'You did just the right thing when you tied him up, Spud,' said Walter. "'I think we'll leave him tied for the time being. I guess the first thing to do is to make him as comfortable as we can, and let the leg alone for now. If it was a compound fracture it would be different, but it isn't. So there's no wound to dress.' "'What be a compound fracture?' demanded Pat. "'I've heard mention of it many times, but I never knew just what it is. "'It's when a broken bone protrudes through the flesh. "'Then you have a break and a wound besides,' explained Walter. "'Unless there is more than one break, this is a simple fracture of the femur. "'We can tell better when we have reduced that swelling somewhat. "'His head is hot and he's got a fever all right.' The first thing to do is to get a rousing good fire going and get this place as warm and dry as possible. Do you suppose you can find wood dry enough to burn after this rain, Pat? It would be easy enough by daylight, but I'm afraid it will be a tough job in the night. Leave it to me, replied Pat, making a new torch by the simple process of fixing a fresh supply of bark to one of the old handles. Hal, you go with him to help bring it in, ordered Walter. I wonder if there's a spring anywhere about here. "'Sure. I found it before I started for you fellows. It's only a few steps. Want some water?' Spud was eager to be doing something to help. "'Yes. Guess we ought to have brought along something to get it in. I didn't because I took it for granted that there would be something here.' Spud remembered the pail he had seen on the ground that afternoon, and in a few minutes was back with it in triumph. Taking the torch, he went in quest of the water. Meanwhile the ringing blows of the axe proclaimed that Pat had found a dead tree.' and the crash of it soon followed. Then Hal appeared with an armful of dry splinters cut from the heart of it, and the fire was soon going. By the time it was well started, Pat brought in some logs cut from the tree, and it was not long before a huge blaze directly in front of the lean-to was giving both heat and light. While Spud prepared a cup of hot bullion, Walter tenderly bathed the hot face of the sufferer and laid one of the towels wrung out in cold water across his forehead. With the other towel, a cold compress was applied to the injured leg to reduce the inflammation, if possible. The patient was covered with blankets, and a little of the hot bullion fed him by means of a spoon which Upton had thought to slip in his pocket. There seemed nothing else to do unless it was decided to attempt to set the broken leg at once, or to attempt to move the sufferer to the cabin that night, and to discuss these matters the boys gathered round the fire. "'Of course,' began Walter, the sooner that leg is set, the better. And I suppose we can do it right here. But there are reasons why it would be best to wait until we can get him to the cabin. A few hours more or less at this stage isn't going to make any particular difference. Do you suppose we can set it? asked Spud. 
Of course, I've read all about how to do it, as every scout is bound to, and we've all seen the thing demonstrated at Woodcraft, but actually doing it is a very different thing, especially when the thing is two or three days old. I, I say, do you honestly think we can? We've got to. There are no ifs or ands about it. Upton's jaw was set in a way that his comrades had learned to know meant that his mind was absolutely made up. I felt of that leg as carefully as I could, and one end of the bone has slipped past the other. The leg has got to be set, and it's straight up to us, with no chance to dodge. The only question is, shall we do it here or wait till we get to the cabin? You took a special course in first aid when you took the leadership of that patrol in New York, didn't you, Walt? asked Hal. Upton nodded. Did you ever see a bone actually set? Again Upton nodded. Helped a surgeon set a broken arm once. Spud uttered such a profound sigh of relief that the others could not but smile. That's going to help some, said he. I thought we were all green, and I confess I feel better. If the job can be done here, why not get it over? Partly because I think it could work better at the cabin, but chiefly because we have got to carry him there anyway, and at best it's going to be a hard trip for him. No matter how careful we are, he is bound to get some jolts. And if we set the bone first, we may have to do it all over again when we get there. The risk of the splints slipping is very great. Too great, it seems to me. I should think we could bind them so tight that they simply couldn't slip, said Spud. And stop the circulation, Hal broke in. That's so. I didn't think of that, replied Spud. You've got to think of everything in matters of this kind, and it doesn't do to forget. Now what do you fellows think about setting that leg? Leave it till we get to the cabin, replied Pat decisively, and in his opinion the others concurred. Then it's settled, returned Upton. Now the question is as to whether we shall try to take him there tonight or wait till morning. Wait for daylight. There's no question at all about that in my mind, spoke up Hal. We'd only torture the poor chap trying to get him through the thick stuff even with torches and we'd use ourselves up so that we wouldn't be fit to tackle the bone-setting when we got there. I think the thing to do is to make him as comfortable as possible here tonight, and then start as soon as it is light enough to see clearly and pick our way. "'Tis sense she be spakin', said Pat. "'We could make it tonight if we had to, but twould be tough on him and would about to finish us up. If the doctor says there is no harm done by staying, I be thinking the best thing we can do is to stay.' "'Twill not be an easy job at best, and we've got to make it as easy for him as we can.' And so it was decided. The boys took turns watching by the sick man to wring the towels out in cold water as fast as they became heated and to give him occasional sips of the hot bullion. Those not engaged in that duty sat by the fire and speculated as to who the man was and if he really was the one wanted, and if so, whether he was guilty or not, meanwhile keeping up the fire." and so the long night wore away. The application of the cold cloth to the fevered head had the desired effect, and gradually the muttering ceased, and the patient fell into the sleep of utter exhaustion. He was still sleeping when the first faint streaks of light in the east proclaimed the breaking of a new day, and the boys began to prepare for the task before them. End of chapter 15